Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, it's our first podcast in 2023, and reality has already hit everybody with an anxiety from a new catastrophe, but no mention of QBE or AIG. It's a New Zealand government's turn to get wet behind the ears as they debate flood pools across the very deep ditch. Reinsurance. We might talk a lot about reinsurance, but there's not a lot of it out there, apparently. And it looks like another interesting year for staffing and the industry as a survey reports only two out of five staff intend to remain with their current employer. Hello, everyone. I'm joined by senior journalist Miranda Maxwell, editor John Deeks, deputy editor Wendy Pugh and chairman Terry McMullen as we uncover which two of the five participants here today might be leaving us. G'day, Terry. Andrew, you didn't have to start the year with that little bit of alarm, did you? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the stats are pretty good, aren't they? Oh, stats are stats. Are you still going to be here in 12 months' time? I can't guarantee that at my age. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should be focusing on all our wonderful, terrific, highly educated and incredibly skilled staff. Oh, so it's you and me that are leaving then. <laughs> well, moving on, speaking of our talented staff, good morning, Miranda. Good morning, Andrew. It's our first pod of the year. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Only to keep this microphone working that you gave me a year ago, and I think it's the first time I'm actually using it, so woohoo. Your dulcet tones will be appreciated by the listeners. Let's hope. Hello, John. Hello. How's your start to the year going? Very good, actually. Yes. We're, we're cracking on with lots of work, getting all our bulletins back up and running. And it's, yeah, it's lots of fun. And hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrea. Any resolutions for you? <laughs> Not really. Uh, if you don't make them, you can't break them. <laughs> Not a bad philosophy. Well, we had hoped for a quieter 2023 in terms of natural catastrophes, Miranda, but we're not off to the best start. What's happening with the New Zealand floods? Well, Auckland has started 2023 in a state of emergency with deadly flash flooding on the weekend, killing four people. A lot of our listeners have probably seen images on social media of flooded airports and supermarkets and stranded cars. They've had so much rainfall, it's broken records already. Auckland has already had around 40% of its usual annual rainfall, and we're not even into month two yet. And sunshine hours are only around two-thirds of normal. So IAG, Suncor and Tower all received thousands of claims, even by yesterday morning. All of them are expecting a lot more to flow in. The Insurance Council says it's going to be the worst weather-related insured loss event for Auckland ever, and possibly for the whole of New Zealand. They've got more rain expected today. So it's a really tough situation in the North Island right now. And it's going to hit insurers hard as Auckland has notoriously high property prices on par with Sydney. Suncor has sent reinforcements from Australia to speed up the claims process. But it's a tough time. Australia has had record floods as well. And a lot of those claims are still not fully processed and closed. And New Zealand itself already had record claim costs for extreme weather, which were over $300 million last year. So tough on the back of that. Well, last year, Australia got whacked, Terry. Now it seems to be New Zealand's turn. Can we expect to see the same debates about flood pools and reinsurance pools and so on? 
Look, New Zealand's no stranger to floods. I guess the scale and speed of this event makes it different from the floods they've had before. And they usually occur in smaller cities or on farmland. So the size of this one is impressive, but it really is just all about location. And we have to remember when we talk about record payouts that uh, the South Island city of Christchurch probably will retain that record, I would expect. If a storm of the sort of magnitude that hit Auckland had, had struck 100 kilometres south, nobody would be talking about it because it, it would have just been all on farmland. Weirdly, in, insurers in New Zealand have always provided flood cover to their household policies, even though Australia didn't. And I doubt this one event is really going to require thinking about bigger and more complex insurance arrangements. Well, linked to natural catastrophes is, of course, the reinsurance market. Wendy, can you sum up the January renewal season for us? Um, well, there's been some um, dramatic language uh, used in describing the this, this season. Um, uh, Gallagher Ree says they were um, uh, the negotiations were late and um, in many cases uh, frustrating and and for some participants it was quite gruelling. Um, this was particularly for property catastrophe cover and especially in the US and Europe, which are really dominant in the in the January renewals. So pricing went up and also the deductible that insurance retain increased. And I think there was a focus too on you know some wordings and and terms. Aon said it was the most challenging renewal in a generation, and it was reflected. Part past um, underwhelming uh, returns for reinsurers and active year for natural catastrophes, which included Hurricane Ian, um, as well as uh, interest rate and inflation changes. So it's like all these things have sort of come together. Well, Terry, it must put insurers under a lot of pressure when reinsurers change tack like this. Oh, hell yes. Uh, I guess, look, they did start giving out warning rumbles last year that, that should have warned all of us in Australia that our reliance on reinsurance to, to cover major claims events, particularly weather-related ones, it was going to hurt. And it is from all the descriptions. Although our major renewal season is, is really at the end of the financial year, so we, we're probably going to get hit twice this year. The reinsurers have been pretty moderate and and do tend to be very, very careful in the way they, they manage things like premiums and conditions. But the number of natural catastrophes they've dealt with in the past year, a few years, it's really dented their confidence. And, and investors also in reinsurance are more wary. So, yes, we are going to see a lot of problems in the Australian market over the next year. And brokers certainly are really worried about having to deal with rising premiums and possibly even worse, falling capacity. Well, moving on to some positive results, except it's AFCA. They had a positive results in the courts, Wendy. Can you give us the details on this one? Well, this was an action taken by ASIC against two home finance companies and two directors for failing to cooperate with AFCA. So the companies were found to have repeatedly refused to provide documents and information when requested and, you know, caused problems for AFCA staff by subjecting them to inappropriate and unprofessional behaviour. They also, they failed to pay an AFCA determination of um, more than $11,000 and they started legal action against 
against an AFCA staff member. For that, the federal court issued fines totaling totaling $150,000 spread across the firms and the, the directors. And Justice Downs said, you know, cooperation with AFCA is important. And in handing out the penalties, it was important to deter anyone else from doing something similar. Is this a warning shot for any insurance companies that might be tempted to act in a similar way, John? I think absolutely it is. Yeah. I mean, the the punishment is quite harsh. And, and uh, of course, along with that fine comes some pretty negative publicity as well. But um, AFCA only works if its members uh, abide by its rulings. And uh, we know insurers don't always agree with what AFCA decides. We hear rumblings about certain rulings. But there's no route for an appeal. So once the decision's made, they really do just have to get on with it. I guess the point is to engage fully with AFCA while the complaint is being considered and make sure that you get your points across very clearly. But once that decision comes down, yeah, you just have to get on with it. Throwing throwing your toys out in the pram is just not going to help. And um, I think this court ruling makes clear that if you don't do as you're told by AFCA, then the punishment can be pretty harsh. Well, Miranda, recruiter Hayes says most insurance staff are looking for a move. Whatever happened to loyalty? Well, this story really seemed to hit a nerve with the readers. It's been the most read story so far this week. Hayes found a lot of dissatisfaction in the insurance industry after that skill shortage crunch that we had last year. A lot of insurers resorted to luring new staff with higher salaries than they were used to paying. But what this did was upset existing staff because despite being loyal, as you said, they found themselves penalised and angry about pay equity. The survey done by Hayes suggested only four in 10 insurance staff intend to remain with their current employer past this year. That's a lot of turnover. And the bottom line was most said they would benefit financially if they changed jobs. So Hayes says it's really important employers address these inequalities as it can impact productivity if it's not addressed quickly, suggests more transparency and even things like non-salary perks such as increasing annual leave. Well, how do we stop this employment merry-go-round, Terry? You mentioned loyalty before uh, and I can't help but think that companies stopped being loyal to their staff around about 25 years ago. And now this is one of the consequences of it. So the best way to stop the employment merry-go-round is probably to climb on it. The rising generations, I can't think of a better way to describe all those gens. They really want more from their jobs apart from just the the professional side. They they want hybrid working arrangements and, and a greater emphasis on life outside work and good for them. They're going to go to the employers who have the most to offer. And insurance is is a hard career for attracting high quality people at the best of times, even if it, I reckon, offers far wider horizons than, say, banking. But, I mean, let's let's look at this in reality. This is a a really massive movement taking place around the world, the the great resignation. And I certainly know that in in financial services, we're not the only ones suffering from this. And I should think that this is right across industries in Australia. Well, we're talking about the workplace, John. This week's analysis told us what the industry really thinks about hybrid working. What do we really think? Yes, good question. So this this analysis was sparked really by an update that came through from uh, Ross Cameron, whose company Cameron Research does a lot of SME 
research and surveys. And he had spoken to a number of business owners about what they really think about work from home or, or, or at least hybrid working where, where people work some time in the office and some time at, at home. And Ross found actually a lot of business owners don't like it when they're speaking honestly. They say that, you know, some of them say it's a con if you're working Tuesday to Thursday in the office and Mondays and Fridays at home, you're basically having a four day weekend and comments like that. So we approached a number of companies in the insurance industry and actually we found a very different response. It seems that insurance companies really do genuinely think that hybrid working is a good thing. Obviously, it's sort of come about through COVID and all those lockdowns and working from home, but most companies have retained an element of home working and they like it and they, they they say well if you can't trust your staff to work at home then you've probably got the wrong the wrong people you know you can manage productivity from from different locations and so on and it really helps people's work-life balance etc i mean we even offered people the chance to speak uh, anonymously about it but they still said no, we really do think it's an improvement and a step forward. You know, nobody wants people to work from home all the time. Uh, you've got to have some days in the office to sort of build build teams, build cultures and, you know, facilitate training and so on. And, and there is an issue that we hear from some brokers about co- underwriters and complex risks because when the underwriter is on their own, they can't holler over to someone else, the expert at the at the other desk and say, hey, come over here for a minute and help me with this. It all gets very tricky when there are complex risks and and brokers suspect that they get told no more often than not because it's all too hard to work out. But that's really the only issue that's been flagged with it. The view is hybrid working is, is permanent. It's here to stay. Even if employers don't like it, they probably don't have much choice because as we've spoken about already, people will leave if they're forced back into the office five days a week. What do you think, Terry? Will you leave if you're uh, forced to come back in the office five days a week? Yes. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I think this is an incredibly complex question and there's possibly a society changing trend that we're seeing here. I don't know. But I do think it's a confluence of, of what we were talking about before with with employees wanting more out of life and also the the difficulties that we're having at the moment in the market with things like you know capacity constraints and insurers reliance on more on vanilla kind of of risks uh so yeah it's complicated if you want to see the negative results of working from home and let me present the negatives talk to a broker they're dealing with risks they can't place an industry inundated by claims and the staff interface between brokers and insurers just isn't working. The number of brokers I've spoken to over the past few months who are just heartbroken by it all. They say insurers staff are slower, less focused, out of touch with the decision makers back at base. They say discussions on underwriting and the progress of clients claims is now a really wearying business that might involve weeks of waiting for someone to make a decision or just communicate with them. It's pretty widespread. And as the market tightens further this year, it it might start getting uglier uh, as brokers become more frustrated. Whether the industry can balance, or this industry or any industry really, can balance the, the downsides of hybrid working for the business and the personal upside for employees remains to be seen, I think. 
uh, I, I can't help feeling from talking to brokers and insurers over the past few weeks that hybrid working does need some rules about productivity written around it. Well, on that note, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Miranda Maxwell, Wendy Pugh, and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Inside Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.